Episode of Two Writers Slinging Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman, a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and the music you listen to is Croissants and the great MC White Owl. And for those who might not know, this weekend on the campus of USC is the annual Los Angeles Times Festival of Books, arguably my favorite event of the year. So today I roamed looking for, I don't know, but I found it in a woman named Dana Bell Anderson, who was sitting quietly at a booth selling her self-published book, Letters to My Son. As we started talking, Dana Bell began telling me the story of her son, Jeremy, who died in a car accident three years ago at age 19. And Dana Bell, a registered nurse by trade, turned to writing daily letters to her late child to help her deal with the pain, which resulted in a book and resulted in our lovely, truly meaningful chat. Also, Stick around for the end of this podcast, where I hop from tent to tent talking with some different authors about the keys to selling their books. It's all right now, live from the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books on Two Writers, Sling and Yang. Okay, so where are you from, first of all? Woodland Hills. Oh, Woodland Hills. Yes, okay. yes. And um, you lost your son in 2016. Yes. And can I ask what happened? Yeah, yeah. He was 19 years old. Um, it was a car accident. He was driving, it was raining um, in Palos Verdes. He had just lost control of the car. You know, unfortunately, here living in Los Angeles, we're not particularly good at driving in the rain. Um, and him being a fairly new driver, he just, it was his first time driving in the rain. And when he turned left on a busy road, um, he lost control of his car. He hydroplaned and just couldn't regain control and he hit a, a tree. And that was it. And, Instant. And you get the call. I get the call at like three in the morning from his father who lived in Las Vegas. Um, who apparently somebody had called him. Um, one of my son's friends called him saying there was an accident. We don't know exactly what happened. We weren't there. We just heard that there was an accident. We you didn't know, know if he had died yet. Though. We had no idea. Yeah. And so his father calls me and say, is he home with you? And I was like, no, he's at his friend's house in Palos Verdes. Um, he's sleeping over there. And, um, and so after that, he said, well, he said there was an accident. We don't know what happened. And so it was like two hours worth of calling all the local hospitals in South Bay, calling his friends. Nobody was answering, calling the police station, nothing. We even called the fire department uh, to see if there was any kind of report, search online news for any traffic um, reports, nothing. And so finally, I told my husband, I said, let's just go down to the police station to get some answers. So we did, and the sheriff at San Pedro um, told us the news. Uh, I guess it, they were in the process of sending a police officer to our house in Woodland Hills to tell us the, per- the news in person. It's not something they say on the phone. So they were in the process of doing that. And, but So we beat them to it and went to the station instead. And, so what is it? Um, I hope this doesn't sound like a cliche question. Like, what is it to get that information? Like, um, it's unreal. You. So I'm a nurse. I'm a nurse by profession, and I remember distinctly thinking when the officer was telling me the news. I remember clearly thinking, I wish this was a nurse telling me. Um, only because I have given, I have been with a doctor telling family members that their loved one didn't make it. Like I worked in the ER for six years and often the doctor never wants to be alone in giving, breaking the news to a family so they always bring a nurse with them and I've been that nurse many times and there's just, there's a certain compassion that we, you know, we give. Hearing that news is, 
you know, unimaginable. So you always kind of want to extend a hand, you know, like a hug or, or just some kind of, there's a finesse to it, I, I think. Um, and the officer, it's not that he was rude or anything like that, but he was just very, like, cold. Just like, yeah, just stating a fact, oh, he's gone, you know. Um, so there was there was a coldness to it. And I think when anybody hears that, anybody's ever given that news, you don't ever want to just be cold and stating a fact. Um, and so I, that, that to me was the distinct thought that I had in my head, like, oh, I wish I was talking to a nurse, you know. Um, but it was... Driving to the police station, though, I kind of expected it already, and I sort of prepared myself that that was going to be the news that I was going to get. Um, so one of the people that I called, actually, one of his friends that I called was um, his ex-girlfriend, and um, she was the first person I called when I heard that there was an accident because I figured she would know. Um, and she said he didn't make it, and she was crying. But the mom, her mom took it, the phone away from her right away, and she said, we don't know anything. We actually don't know anything. And so... Do you think the mom was saying that because she didn't want her daughter to be the one to deliver Right, over the phone, yeah. Um, and so there was a part of me, of course, that was hoping she was wrong, you know, um, because she wasn't in the car with him. And so I was just hoping that she was wrong. But there was also a part of me that was also thinking, well, why would she say that? I mean, that would just be cruel for her to say that to me, you know? So... During the drive to the police station, I was just like, I just have to be ready for the fact that she's right. Can you make yourself ready for that kind of information? <laughs> I guess as best as you could. I guess it was more of like, I, I made peace with it, that I'm never going to see him again. Um, and, and it was really just preparing myself to tell my other children, his younger siblings, that their brother was gone. So it, I kind of went into this mode of mama bear, where now I have to protect my younger children from this devastating thing and just really sort of like gearing up, you know, for this big task ahead of me that I had. Um, and also to tell my mom, you know, so it was all of those emotions just sort of like, okay, I just, I just got to tough it out and just, you know, get ready for this. Where's your son's name? Jeremy. What was he like? Uh, he was a mama's boy, big time mama's boy. Um, and we were very close. Um, yeah, I was a single mom for many years. And he and I just sort of, I mean, he he talked to me about anything. Um, my husband now, he would always joke around that if I was at work, Jeremy would always be in his room. And he only came out like when I got home and he would be nonstop talking, you know. Because sometimes I'd text my husband and be like, well, what's Jeremy doing? And he'd be like, I don't know. He never comes out unless you're here. Um, and so that's just how he was. Like even, you know, 18, 19, you know, he, we would stay up like two in the morning just talking about his day. And just like, so just and a really good person. And, and I'm sure every mom says that about their child but he was just he, he would bend over backwards for, for people you know to go, he would go out of their way out of his way to just help people and he was like such a good big brother so we have three other daughters and so he was like the big brother to these three d girls and he protected them um, and I think that's what was going to be the for me the hardest part was like okay how do I tell these three young girls now that they're you know sort of their protector is gone so but he he loved, he loved them dearly and they were so close what, is, what was he doing at that point in his life was he, he was, was yeah he? he was actually 
just three days before, three days away from his death, he was going to take his finals for EMT. He was studying to be an EMT, yeah, because he wanted to be, he actually wanted to be a doctor. He wanted to be a surgeon. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he was taking classes at Pierce, and he was doing the, he was going to, his plan was to work as an EMT while go to school. Is it, um, I don't know if people are waiting Does it get, I don't know, like, so you're here, and you're talking to me about it, yeah. and you seem fairly, in a good way, I think, matter of fact about it. You know, yeah. you're not breaking down, you're not like, right, right. does it get easier with time to a certain degree or no? Um, no, because, I mean, because even the first 24 hours, I, I was sort of like this already anyway. Um, Is this your personality? Yeah. Yeah. But also, I think because I've been I, I've been a nurse for 16 years. I work in oncology and ER. Still a nurse? Yes. Yeah. So uh, just yeah, I think being around death um, so much, it just I I sort of accepted. I truly accept death as a part of life um, because I see it and I've seen young kids, babies dying in the ER and older people, you know, dying. And so really, I think just having that exposure to death over and over and over again has really just allowed me. To pretty much embrace that as part of life, and you're comfortable uh, with it. Exactly, exactly. It's not like a, a taboo topic for me. Oh, I'm sorry, oh. this is our seat. I think. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go here. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Let's jump over here. Can I go over here? Yeah. Okay. So you've accepted, like you you acknowledge death for it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. So you wrote a book. Yes. Letters to My Son, mm-hmm. which is sitting in front of me right now. It's a great author book. Um, how long after your son's passing did you think to yourself, I should write about this? And what made you think I should write about this? So I, uh, these are actual letters that I've written to him. Like from the day that he died, I, I've, so I've always been like a journaling kind of person. Like I wrote, I wrote in a diary all through college. Um, and so this was sort of my way of, I wrote these letters to him to feel like I talked to him for the day in a way. Um, you know, it's just really just my thoughts on what I felt that day, what happened that day. Um, and I had like four different notebooks because whatever I could grab at that time when I needed to say something to him, I would write. Um, and then I decided to put it together in a book to share with the world because of um, when I when I just when it hit me that there's so many parents just losing their children. Um, but you're open with the day, which is the letter. Is this the first letter you wrote? Yeah. Can I read a little of it? Yeah, so yeah. You wrote, uh, it was like something straight out of the movies. It was a 3 a.m. phone call from your father that woke me. I didn't answer the first time because I was half asleep and I wasn't sure what was happening. Then he called again. I answered fully awake by then. Yes, if you were home, I told him you were at F's house. They were gone to, buy, to a birthday party in Palos Verdes after spending the night at F's. He said he had gotten a call from someone claiming to be your friend. The friend said you were in a car accident, but he wasn't there, so he didn't know how you were doing. Naturally, I called M. She was sobbing when she picked up the phone, and I knew. I knew before she could even utter the words, no, no mother should ever hear. I knew. He didn't make it. And just as people do in the movies, I responded with, don't you say that to me. Don't you dare say that to me. Looking back, I don't know why I said that. Maybe I watched too many movies. It just sounds so scripted. Which is kind of funny, because it does sound like something right. one would say in a movie. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So how many letters did you write to your son since his uh, passing? A lot. A and do you still? Um, yes, I do. I do. And why? Because, it, like I said, it, it makes me feel like I talked to him for the day. You know? Right. Just, even though I'm not getting a response, I feel like somehow I spoke to him in some way. Right. The same way where like, I like seeing his pictures because I feel like I saw him for the day. Right. Yeah. 
you look at pictures? Do you think of him every day? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I look at his Instagram all the time. Yeah, I look at his social media, his posts, his tweets. Just to sort of, I mean, I probably could say them all by, verbatim by now, all right. the tweets that he's ever written, but I've looked at them so many times. But yeah, it's just, again, it's just really a matter of like, oh, I feel like I had some contact with him. Right. Yeah. Um, so what was the process? You, you wrote all these letters. You thought to yourself, I want to write a book. Mm-hmm. How'd you go about doing it? Um, so I, um, of course, I kind of reached out to some of my friends who I figured maybe would know, like a literary agent or a publisher. Um, I didn't have luck going that route, the traditional route. And so one of my friends who I had reached out to, she said, well, have you ever thought about self-publishing? And I had never even heard of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started researching um, self-publishing and... And I thought, okay, well, this is a good, I think it's a good route for me. I can make this happen. Um, I'm fairly confident in my writing skills and in my editing skills. I've always loved writing. And so um, that, I just decided to do that. I went with a, a, a self-publishing company that I, I thought I could, that would do well. Would that be Archway Publishing? Right. Yeah. Um, and then we just went from there. And it was like maybe a six-month process from the time I signed up with them and you know getting my manuscript fully ready in book form, uh-huh. getting all the letters together and the copyright laws and all of that stuff. So. And how many hard copies did you print out? Like, how does that work with self um, Yeah, so there you have. Um, I, they have a website set up for me, and of course on their website as well they have it, and it's available through them as well, and they have it. Um, Amazon has it, and Barnes and Noble has it as well on, on online. Right. Um, and um, so they basically just take care of all of those things. Um, it, the only it is currently at a bookstore in Barnes and Noble in Torrance. Um, that's so that's sort of like my community bookstore. So I reached out to them and said, Hey, would you mind carrying this book? And they did. Right. They're really good about that. So that's there as well. Um, but it's pretty much, you know, outside of that store, it's all online. Right. Available. Do you know how many copies you sold? I don't. I haven't looked at my report just because I'm Don't scared. want to? <laughs> I, have to, I never look. I yeah. never look. Yeah, yeah. I'm very nervous. Why, do you care? Like, I know you care, but do you, like... Um, I mean, yes, of course I do. Um, obviously, I didn't, I mean, I invested, a, you know, money into this, but I, I'm not, I didn't do it for, you know, fame or, you know, fortune or whatnot. Um, I really just want to... Um, reach out and you know get to other grieving people and um, and I think that's really what, what I care more about is how do I get to um, that community of grieving parents and how do I reach out to them and let this be known that this is available for them because when I was you know obviously when this happened people gave me books on grief and nothing really sat well with me why is that um, so like the books were like take these steps to get over your grief you know kind of thing and it's like I just kind of felt pressured like I have to move on Um, and I that just didn't sit well with me it's like well I don't want to move on you know I don't why is there a pressure to move on like death shouldn't be such a difficult topic to talk about you know I just want to say, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I remember I had a, my roommate in college lost his father. Yeah. And he felt like there was, like, people were like, and obviously losing a father is different than losing a son, but people expect, okay, we're giving you this time, yeah. and then you That's should be it. okay. Yeah. Why is he still depressed? Why right. is he still upset? Right. It's Why crazy. Yeah. Like, how about because my son doesn't exist anymore? Right. Like, isn't that a fair reason? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, and it's interesting because when I do say his name, like, there's people kind of, like, are on edge because they feel like, oh, she's going to cry, like, she's going to break down, you know, and it's like, 
it's okay. Like, I can totally talk about him. You know, it's it's fine. And yes, if I do cry, that's okay too. If I don't cry, that's okay. That doesn't mean right. I'm over it. You right. know, like. Do you? How do you feel about the phrase "I'm so sorry"? Like, are you okay with that? I am. Um, I think because also being an oncology nurse, um, you know, we heard it a lot when people are just newly diagnosed with cancer. People say it. Um, I think just because people don't know what else to say, and I and I understand that, and I and I'm okay with them saying that because it's like I get it. Like, what what do you say? Right. You know. So I don't really think too much about it. Um, I think the only thing is like I sometimes you don't know what to say back. <laughs> you know, you say it's okay, but it's like, well, no, it's not okay. But thank you for saying that you're sorry. Right, you know? right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those awkward things that you just kind of accept and move on. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so how have you gone about, like, is this your first time doing the LA Book Festival? It is, yes. And is this a comfortable thing for you or a weird thing for you or like what? Um, no, it's not weird. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with people. I think, again, just because I'm a nurse and I just meet with people with all walks of life. So I'm pretty social and I think I'm okay with meeting strangers. Have you done other signings and events? No, I did have a book launch, um, but that was really with like family and friends. So what did you do with your book launch? Um, one of my um, good friends hosted it at her home um, in Calabasas, and so we just invited a bunch of my friends and family, and they came, and we had um, somebody from uh, the Calabasas uh, Style Magazine come and cover it as well. Uh-huh. Um, and that was it. You know, we did like a, a of course I signed the copies of books, and right. I read from, I read a few excerpts from the book. Right. Yeah. Do you feel, does this like... I mean, what does it do for you? So you have a book. Here it is. It exists, right? You wrote it. You did it yourself. It's obviously it's an ode to your son. You dedicated it to your son. Um, what does it mean to you now in hindsight that you wrote it? Like, does it, does it I don't know. What does it do for you? Um, I think uh, I, I feel like um, I hope that he, you know, if there is a, if he is, if there's another realm to our world, I hope that if he sees it, if he notices it's happening, I hope that you know, he's proud and that he feels that this is a great ode to him. Um, so, uh, and it's, it's a big sense of pride for me, especially for my daughters, you know, like when this first arrived, when they first saw it, they're like, you wrote a book, you know? And so they're so excited. That's amazing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like when we went to Barnes & Noble and Torrance and we went to the bookstore and they're like, your book is in a bookstore? You know, and so I think, if anything, I, I love that I get to impart that on my daughters. That's amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Yes. So this week's from the San Diego Padres, Rupert Jones is different than usual. One thing that's cool about the Los Angeles Time Festival of Books is it's not just famous authors with publishing deals. Many of the people there rent a tent, lug their books from God knows where, and just sell and sell and sell the best they can. It's a lot of isolation time. It's a lot of people walking by without looking. It's a lot of trying to lure people in with free candy and bookmarks. It's hard, and I kind of love it. So as a guy who's always looking for tips to moving products, I bounced around seeking wisdom, and here's some of what I found. All right, Marcia, first of all, M-A-R-C-I-A-R-I-M-A-N-S-E-L-Z, three words. Where are you from? Uh, Century City. Okay, and how many books have you written? One. This is your first? My first historical novel. How long did it take you? Twelve years. No, it did not. Yes, it did. Twelve years? Twelve years. You're here at the Festival Books, paid for your own tent. I've always found selling a book the hardest part of it all. How is it for you? I did everything I possibly could to attract people to the booth. 
right, what'd you do? Okay. Let's go over this. You got candy, which of course is a freaking game changer. <laughs> Bowl of candy. I have bookmarks, and I'm writing my booth on there so people want to come 32. back. Smart. Yeah. Okay. okay. I have recipes from medieval times. Oh, all right. Giving out in Passover, we have some birthday heroic, Sephardic heroic. Is it bad if my birthday is three days into Passover and I have a little little bread? That's my son. Oh hi, how are you, sweetheart? What's your name? Emmett. Emmett, good name. I'm Marcia. You got candy, which my son just took. You have a business card. Yeah. We're raffling off some spices that were used during medieval times. We're raffling off food and fruit infusions. Nice. Okay. They're all imported from Israel. Got it. We're giving away bracelets. You want a bracelet? This one says courage. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, here, enter our raffle. Here you enter the raffle. Super smart. And you get the email, and then they're on your mailing list. Selling books. DK Lang. L-A-N-G-E. Where are you from? I'm from Missouri. And what number book is this for you? This is actually my second book, but it's the first book of a series. Oh, okay. Magecraft Daynor. Magecraft Daynor. Daynor is a healing mage. She gets thrown into a realm she knows nothing about. Are you a writer by trade? I've been What's your background? Since I was 10 years old, but I had an English teacher who really pushed me to use my imagination, oh, and cool. she was fabulous. What was your English teacher's name? Do you remember? No. <laughs> you know how long ago that was? <laughs> so you flew out here for the book festival? No, no, I drove. You drove? Yeah, I brought my own books. From Missouri? From Missouri. A little bitty town in central Missouri called Vichy. And how, many, how long did it take you to drive out here? Um, 39 and a half hours. So was it worth it? Oh, yeah. How old are you, my love, Jess? <laughs> 63. Never been on a plane? No. So how do you sell a book? I talk about my book all the time. Like, what does that mean? Like, if I'm hanging out with you on the line at the supermarket, I'm like, uh... Yeah, Like, you're much. like, in this book, and you're I'm like... I'm an author, and you usually say, oh, really, what kind of book do you write? I write fantasy. Mine is Magecraft, and it's the first of a series, and we get to talking. I'm, I'm a very people person. Eric LaPrince. LaPrice. Oh, where are you from, Eric? Uh, I am from uh, Porterville, California. And your book is Best Foot Forward? Yes, it is. It's uh, a photography and a history book all in one. And I took the English idiom, put your best foot forward, and did a literal interpretation of it. So it's a history on footwear. And, uh, like, there's a whole chapter on high heels. There's a chapter on sandals. It also goes into foot jewelry, foot tattoos, and pedicures. This is my first... Uh, attempt at writing a book and publishing it. Wow. Uh, I did all the photography and I did all the writing. Wow. And all the research. Yes, I did. Man, that's pretty freaking hardcore. It is, and uh, I've got a special price here today It's and tomorrow for the festival, only $5 a book. So, Alright, so here's my question. Yeah. What do you find are the keys to selling books? Well, getting exposure, which is of course the most difficult part because it costs a fortune. Right. And, but you have to get that exposure, get on radio, get on TV, use social media, to try and reach those people that actually are willing to buy a book. This, in particular, is a coffee table book. Uh, I designed it that way, so it should appeal to a broad spectrum. Um, and also, I'm always trying to get it into things like shoe stores, nail salons, things like that, where people sitting there might page through it and get an idea. So how do you do that? Do you, have you gone a book into a shoe store? Uh, I have. I've just gone in and said, hey, you know, I'd like to leave this book with you. Um, just leave it out somewhere so people can look at it. Wow. All right, what's your name? Hey, I'm Stephanie Bolsara. And what is Radio Gaga? Radio Gaga, mixtape for the end of humanity, is a sci-fi dystopian novel 
uh, that follows a mysterious glitchy narrator tasked with warning any sentient species about the downfall of humanity and how our obsession with pop music and pop culture made us oblivious to our downfall. Wow, that was pretty badass right there. Yeah. All right, and you're wearing a dress covered with broken CDs. Yes, and I'm fishnets. Yep. And uh, kind of Gene Simmonsy boots. Uh huh. What's the story? So uh, my author and drag persona, Stephanie Bolsara. Bolsara is. Are you pretty- a drag performer? Exactly. Oh, awesome. Okay. Uh, and an author. And so Bolsara is Freddie Mercury's real last name. Stephanie is Lady Gaga's real first name. Oh. I fuse a photo of them together as my author's photo. And I'm bringing that, you know, gender, queer, gender funk uh, uh, thing to my, uh, both my drag persona, but also to the outfit. So right now I'm wearing a beautiful red dress that I took about a hundred CDs, cut them all up, hot glued them onto my body. I also have angel wings, which I've made out of cassettes that I spray painted gold when I pulled out the tape from the cassette. So they're billowing in the wind and then mounted on my head. <laughs> is a record that I spray painted gold, which is, you know, reminiscent of Voyager 1, the space shuttle that we send into space with a gold record made by Carl Sagan and his wife. In your mind, the keys to selling books, what? Um, You have to be flashy, you have to be out there, you have to be uh, absolutely unique, you have to have someone recognize what your audience is immediately. And so when people see me in this wonderful drag outfit, they're like, that is something I want to see, or that is not for me. That's fine either way, so. You're almost like it's direct marketing to your audience. Absolutely, they see it across the way and they're like, that's shiny, I'm going right for it, right. so. Oh, that's cool. And that's. From the San Diego Padres, Rupert Jones. I want to thank today's guest, Dana Bell Anderson, for joining me on Two Riders Sling and Yang. You can follow Dana Bell on Twitter at D-A-Y-N-A-B-E-L-L-E-A-N-D-E-1 and on Instagram at day underscore N-A-B-E-L-L-E. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of throwback sports merchandise. You can visit the website at 503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Riders Sling and Yang on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, and reviews are always appreciated. Music is by the dazzling MC White. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.